about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. Starting from chapter 1, verse 15, through to chapter 2, verse 5. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were enemies from God, once you were alienated from God, and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, not moved from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and for those at Laodicea, for all who have met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments, for though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Good evening. Uh, My name is Mike, uh, one of the uh, ministers here at Newtown Erskineville, and it's a privilege to continue in our series on Colossians uh, together tonight. Look, this week I was asked the question, what's the goal of preaching? It's a a good question, particularly since we're going to spend some time together. Uh, What what are you expecting out of this little arrangement we have here? (laughs) What's the goal of preaching? Are you expecting to kind of, for me to share the Word of God? That's a good expectation. Are you expecting to be maybe educated on how the kind of Bible fits together? That's good too. There's something more going on here. As we wrestled with this as a a group this week, 
a bunch of preachers, it was clear that the goal of preaching is that we might be transformed into Christ-likeness. Now, that's kind of a, a big expectation to have, that you might come to church and that in this kind of next little while, that you might be transformed into Christ-likeness in some way as we church together, as we hear from God's Word. And for all the stuff that's going on in your life right now, it might be a massive expectation. You might be distracted by all kinds of things. So let me pray. And as we look at this passage, which actually takes us to what it means to be transformed, that we might have this right expectation and that God might deliver tonight. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift of the way you have revealed yourself in Jesus Christ. And as we look to him tonight, would you, would you quieten every other voice that would compete for our attention, that we might see you alone and be refreshed in who you are and be transformed in him. Amen. Now, we humans are pretty good at transformation. In fact, we tend to latch on to ideas or ideals and kind of away we go. It changes our thinking, our behavior. I was thinking about a movie that's now eight years old, a very profound quote by Dom Cobb. Ring a bell, anyone? This guy with a little spinning thing from the movie Inception. Uh, Dom Cobb is Leonardo DiCaprio. And he, he says this, he goes, an idea is like a virus, resilient, highly contagious. And even the smallest seed of an idea can grow. It can grow to define you or destroy you. And, and just in this week alone, I've seen examples in people's lives where they've latched on to something and it's made them a better person or, or actually some really heavy conversations this week of where that idea has transformed them and destroyed them. Last year, Kel and I were watching the Netflix documentary on minimalism. Anyone seen it? Do you guys have tidy homes? Okay, yeah. um, we're watching this doco, and I can't remember the names of the two people, these kind of two pop stars of this ideal of minimalism, and they're touring the world, and they kind of hold up any household item, and this whole thing's a sort of reaction to materialism. They hold up any kind of household item, and they say, does this give you joy and fulfillment? And if no, get rid of it. It's holding you back. I don't know what they do with the toilet brush, but anyway... Um, Kill and I are watching this kind of, you know, this doco, and we're kind of inspired a little bit, but we couldn't help but notice the juxtaposition because as we watch these kind of beautiful Zen homes, as they go through this journey on sort of to minimalism, we're sitting in what looks like just a bomb site. Our kids have been working all day to destroy our lounge room. We're too stuffed to clean it up. And so we're watching this and looking at this going, yeah, okay, so it's a bit funny even. Except even then, the idea kind of stuck a little bit. And over the coming weeks, that idea sort of transformed us a little. And so we got to kind of cleaning up some of the junk. And we've done a little bit. If you've helped us move in, you'd still think, my goodness, they've got a way to go. But nonetheless, it was transforming us, our thinking and our behavior. What was funny is at the same time, the war on waste thing sort of being talked about. And that's actually an idea that's transforming us as well. So when we get rid of it on the pursuit to minimalism or whatever we can achieve, we're not just turfing into landfill, we're thinking, okay, well, how might I give this to someone so they can use it? So they might be responsible with kind of the things we have, the material things. And just yesterday, we were cleaning up the Urco site, and there was a bunch of sort of, you know, fence sort of sections, and I was like, let's just, I'm so sick of this, I don't know how long it's been here, let's just dump it. And someone said, Mike... <laughs> Someone could use that. Okay, so within an hour of posting it on Gumtree, it's now kind of housing 15 chooks in Marrickville. So that's a good thing. 
We latch onto ideas and they change us for the better or worse. There are some things that are more ultimate than just working out what to do with the stuff in our house or the fence palings around the yard. Uh, These things are spiritual. Spiritual in the New Testament has to do with our innermost being, or maybe more accurately, our self in a transcendent frame, the way we see ourself in a transcendent framework. And we do spiritual things when we worship, when we give ourselves to someone or something and say, you are worthy to define us. That is a spiritual act. I was reminded as I was thinking about these things of a great book called You Are What You Love. And to sort of paraphrase a bunch of technical sentences from James K. Smith, worship is not something we simply do, it's where something is being done to us. Because worship is at the heart of transformation. So you better be careful what you give yourself to in worship because you are being transformed by that object, by that person. Now we could go on, as James K. Smith does in his book, around all the different ways that we might give ourselves to kind of secular liturgies and worship. And Paul could do the same because he's concerned for the Christians in Colossae that they might be dissuaded from the truth and the centrality of Christ and be led on to all these other worshipping and spiritual activities. But he doesn't do that, and so I'm not going to do that. What Paul does do instead is he takes us to what we call the Christ hymn, this most epic poem, Ode to Christ. And if, and if you grasp this, and as Paul hoped the Colossians would grasp this, every other act of worship, every other kind of spiritual longing would just pale into insignificance when compared with how awesome Christ is. And so that's our privilege tonight, is to soak in these words of the Christ hymn. And there's quite a big passage. We're just going to focus on the, on the first part and then kind of look at sort of maybe some of the things that flow out of that. But I'll leave it to your own time to really wrestle with all of the, the words in tonight's passage. Now, when, you kind of, when I'm talking about Christ hymn, you're looking at the passage and you're like, I'm not seeing like a Christ hymn, it just looks like a block of text here and there. Well, don't panic, because I put it on the screen, in a lot of words, <laughs> uh, to help us see the kind of the poetry, the clauses, the centrality of this, and why this does stand out with respect to the other parts in this passage. Now, whether Paul uh, kind of picked up on a pre-existing hymn or whether he's adopted it or whatever the case may be, that's not important for us. What is important is just the beauty of these words that we might soak in them. And there's kind of two main stanzas in this Christ hymn with a kind of little transitionary thing that I'll come back to later. And they fall under two kind of big headings for us tonight of Christ's supremacy and Christ's sufficiency, that he is enough. He's above all things, that he is enough for me. And in case you haven't seen it with all those underlines, this Christ hymn is all about him. It's a dad joke I've been running all day. It's all about Jesus. He is through him, for him. It's hard to miss. And as you kind of see this, you're like, wow, this is, this is, this is dense, it's heavy, there's lots in here. So let's just kind of slow down a little bit that we might just walk through and soak in some of these lines. We might enjoy what Paul's given us, what God's given us, and that we might unpack some of the implications of that later. So let's do it. Let's hit it together. Um, let's look at the supremacy of Christ. He who is the image of the invisible God. Who is he? <laughs> well, it's kind of obvious, but just in 
the part beforehand, Paul's been talking about the Father, the Father. And then he says, but you've been moving to the kingdom of the Son. And then from that point, just outpours this hymn. So the he here is Jesus. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God. That is, in him, the being and the nature of God have been perfectly manifested. The invisible has become visible. Now get your head around that, right? If there's any philosophers in the room, think about what it would be like to try and make the infinite known in the finite. (laughs) The invisible in the visible. If you were given sort of the project to try and squeeze in the glories of the eternal majestic God into like a little package so people could kind of get to know him, you would just, your head would explode. But what we have here is Christ as the manifestation of the fullness of God. The invisible made visible. And so we can stop kind of like pondering, I wonder what God is like. I think God is like, if you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. He will show you the Father. He will show you what God is like. He is the firstborn before all creation. Not the firstborn in creation as some kind of sex of, you know, that have diverted from mainstream Christianity might think. I've had a bunch of chats with Jehovah's Witness who kind of take that line. No, no, no. He created all things, so he's not just born into creation. The firstborn here is more about kind of the prominent one. As Psalm 89 says in that Messianic Psalm, I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. The firstborn here is the highest, the the kind of uh, the one. As one scholar put it, actually, the The firstborn is the key to creation, declaring that it is all there with Christ in view. The whole thing, with Christ in view. In Him, all things were created. Not like inside Jesus, if you're trying to kind of think physically. That's domain language, that Jesus was before creation, He created creation, and He is the star of creation. Everything's been created through him and for him. And if in case you're not getting it, things in heaven and things on earth, things visible and visible, whether thrones or dominions, whether principalities or powers, whether you can see it or not, Jesus made it and it's for him. I remember in my own kind of Christian journey, coming to realize that Jesus didn't just appear halfway through the story, like he sort of opened the Bible up halfway and, oh, look, there's Jesus. Hi, Jesus. No, no. He is through the whole Bible. If you read Genesis 1, God created everything. That's Jesus. If you go to Revelation, and if you've got a red letter Bible, it's made really obvious, the scary words of kind of the judge, that's Jesus. And if you go to the middle of the Bible, and if you look at the the wisdom of God, that is Jesus. And as you look to Jesus of Nazareth, born into a major. That's God making himself known to us. Are you getting a bit of a grasp at just the the supremacy, the, the awesomeness of Christ? There's no space left to kind of divide up like, you know, there's the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New, or I think Jesus is just like a really nice teacher. All of that just disappears when you come to this Christ, him, and see that he is supreme. He is over all. And he is at work in all things. And when you appreciate this, it changes everything. When I was a youth pastor, 
I talked about gospel goggles, kind of works, two Gs, uh, and it's this idea that I kind of shared with my youth about, like, you know, taking from the, the uh, what is it, the, um, the Google Glass. Anyone cool enough to have the Google Glass? Anyone know what it is? It's kind of like a pair of glasses, and on the side here, a little projector, so that it kind of augments a kind of projection onto what you're seeing, or if you've seen Black Mirror, that scary episode about nosedive, that's messed up, that stuff. Um, and so these gospel goggles aren't just kind of projecting an augmented reality on things, that when we understand who Jesus is, we might see all things for how they truly are, that we might see real reality, so that as we depart from this place and we bump into neighbors, we recognize that that person belongs to Jesus. They were created by him and for him. And, and when we're into our workplace tomorrow morning or wherever you find yourself on Monday, Jesus is Lord over that. Despite the pressure to kind of make our faith private, this Christ him, our appreciation of who Jesus is, will continue to break through that because Christ is Lord over everything. Everything was created by him and for him. As Abram Kuyper, a 20th century Dutch politician and theologian once said, there is not a square inch in the whole history of humanity, of which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry out, mine. And when we get a picture of that, it changes us. It changes the way we think and move in His world. How's your Monday going to look different in light of Sunday? What's God saying to you? What's He challenging you with now? Now, I can't pretend at all that you've got your head around all of that. But we move on, right? Skipping over that little transitionary piece, let us look at the sufficiency of Christ, that he is enough for me. Again, the firstborn thing is on display here, but this time with a focus on being firstborn from the dead. And as we come to Easter Sunday and celebrate his resurrection, we celebrate his victory over death, we celebrate him being the champion of the new humanity, our leader, our savior, because the Father was well pleased to dwell in Christ and to manifest his glory. And the fullness of glory is seen in Jesus' life for us, his death for us, his resurrection for us, and his ultimate ascension that we all might see the fullness of Christ's glory and recognize that the fullness of God dwelt in him. And all of that was so that we might be reconciled to the Father. And as soon as Paul says that, we've got to acknowledge that being reconciled presumes that things were kind of out of kilter before, that we needed reconciliation, that we were estranged. And Paul makes that really explicit in verse 21. Look with me. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior... But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you wholly in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. All of that is part of being reconciled with God. So we've got the, the fullness of God revealed in Jesus Christ to reconcile all of humanity back to the Father. Despite our alienation, 
despite the estrangement we caused, the great chasm we opened up, the divorce with God that we filed as humanity, God has made peace through the blood of the cross. He has reconciled us back to Himself. There is nowhere in Scripture that speaks of any way to be reconciled outside of Jesus' cross and His blood shed for us. And as one scholar puts it, Christ is the one, the all-sufficient intermediary between God and the world of humanity and all the attributes of God are disclosed in Christ. And the fruits of this, as I've shown you already, is that we might be presented before God our Father as holy, unblemished, and free from accusation. The thing is, Christ in His supremacy knew everything you've done, are doing, and will do. He knows the stuff you want to hide from Him, others, yourself. And in knowing all of that, He went to the cross for you that you might be reconciled with the Father. And this changes everything. Christ is supreme. He is sufficient. He is above all things and He is all I need. But as you kind of hit this Christ hymn or as it hits you, it's almost too big. I've been wrestling with this this week. It's almost too conceptual. If you're a skeptic, it's almost too fairy tale like And if you're just a pragmatist, maybe it's just not functionally sufficient enough for you. If you plotted our hopes and dreams, our fears, drivers, stresses, our acts of everyday worship, do they scream a response to Jesus' plea, mine? Do they cry out, all I need is the Lord Jesus? Am I any better than the Colossians whom Paul is concerned about being dissuaded from the one true worship of the one true Lord Jesus Christ? We've seen the the cosmic Lord Jesus. We've seen the sufficient Lord Jesus. And now Paul, in his pastoral wisdom, takes us to the intimacy of Christ Jesus. And it's a, it's a muck-in, kind of bloody kind of thing. It, it's, it's an intimacy that Paul is participating in. As we read verse 24, read it with me. I rejoice in what I am suffering for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, the church. <laughs> it's a little bit in that. It's not that Christ didn't do enough, that he sort of lacked some suffering for you. No, no, his suffering was enough once and for all to bring us back to God. But yet suffering remains. And through sin and through the brokenness of this world, everything groans. And Paul is saying that I fill up in my flesh that kind of suffering just as Christ suffered for you. And continues to suffer in a way because he is the head of the body, the church, All of this, I'm in it with you and for you, just as Christ is in it and for us. 
And he labors and he strives strenuously, we are told, so that the mystery once hidden now might be revealed, might be known, might be experienced and enjoy, verse 27, the glorious riches revealed of Christ in you, the hope of glory. If Christ is supreme above us, above all things, if he's sufficient to reconcile us back to the Father, He's actually done that by being in you, working in and through you. There's going to be times in your life where you just don't believe that, where you've either done something or you're just in circumstances that just seem so inglorious. And I hope you have someone like Paul who strenuously contends for you that you might Believe the promise that despite those circumstances, despite what you've done, Christ is at work in you, bringing you the hope of glory. Because we will see him face to face on that final day when we are transformed into glory and see his glorious face personally. And until then, we are holy and unblemished and yet we are being transformed into Christ's likeness. And when we're struggling to believe the promise that Christ is at work in us to bring us to glory, I hope there is someone in your life. And indeed, Paul holds out the model of the church that we might contend for one another, be reminding each other, spurring each other on, that this great Lord Jesus Christ is at work in you. I don't think it's any accident that between the supremacy of Christ and the sufficiency of Christ, we have that transitionary stanza. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. What you have come to tonight, what you are participating in, is not just a social club or a common interest group because we all like Jesus. This is the New Humanity Project the fruit of being reconciled to God the Father, the arena where we worship God and are being transformed into Christ's likeness because He is at work in each of us. And you thought you would just come to the church tonight. What we have is the privilege to see Christ's fruit in each one of our lives and not just watching it from the sideline. Like, that's interesting, there's a bit of fruit there. <laughs> bit of Christ-likeness there. Know that we might contend, I love that word, that we might spur one another on, that we might see Christ at work in each one of us. And particularly as small groups start up this week, is that not a beautiful space where you can be vulnerable, where you can trust one another, and where you can spur one another on? This week at staff meeting, we've been working through a book, um, and it's, it brought to bear kind of the issue of humility. And as we were talking about it, you know, you can imagine like maybe me being vulnerable enough to say, actually, could you, could you pray for me that, I, you know, that I'd be more humble? And like a good brother or sister, you might, dear God, pray that Mike is more humble. Amen. And that's good. That's good. There's, there's a simplicity to childlike faith in, in that kind of just reciprocal relationship there of just being prayed for simply. But what we have here 
is that we might plumb the riches of God's wisdom, that we might be able to say a little bit more than that, that we might be able to contend for each other in a way that pushes us deeper into Christ, into knowing Him, into knowing ourselves. And so I want to finish with just working through the kind of big hooks of this passage so that we might actually practice contending for each other like Paul did for the Colossians. So you might say, Mike, how does Christ's supremacy help you as you seek humility? And there's a conversation there, isn't it? Well, I guess as I look to kind of the awesomeness of Christ, that He is Lord of all things, I guess, I guess maybe I'm not the Lord, the King, the kind of the big guy that I want to be. And I kind of side a little bit with the psalmist who says of, you know, God, you, you flung the stars into space. Who am I that you would be mindful of me? And as I look to the awesomeness of Christ, the byproduct of that is that I would think less of myself. And that God would do a work in me to create humility. Not that I would think poorly of myself or look down upon myself, but just that I would think about myself less as I look more to who Christ is and what He's done. But Mike, how does Christ's sufficiency aid you in your kind of pursuit of humility? And again, there's this conversation as we, as we dwell on the promises of God, as a, on the character of God and His work in me. And, and there's a conversation there around, well, I guess if, if Christ has reconciled me to the Father, if I'm now unblemished, holy, approved, then I don't need to seek the approval or praise of others. Will not that change the way that I act consciously or subconsciously? That I'm not living my life to seek out approval that often manifests in arrogance, in puffing myself up, but that I would live every day starting with the fact that I am approved in Christ. Mike, how does Christ in you drive you onwards? <laughs> As we go back to that verse, Christ in me, the hope of glory. I am reminded that for every effort where I have tried to produce glory for good or for less than good purposes, that glory vanishes like a mist and it's so damn frustrating. And so I'm taken back to the Lord Jesus Christ who is at work in me for His glory. And that is a joyful thing to participate in, to enjoy. And how might we strenuously contend? How do we have this conversation? Keep having this conversation. How do I keep encouraging you? How do I walk alongside you here? That is a beautiful model of doing fellowship. It's such a dorky Christian word, but of kind of deep community, of contending for one another. As we press into Christ to know Him more and to know ourselves more. Friends, we are on a journey of discovering ourselves, our new selves in Christ. And that is something I'm excited about. I'm not always excited. Life is full of ups and downs as it is for you. And yet what we are participating in is being transformed into Christ's likeness because of our supreme and sufficient Lord Jesus. 
this is the arena of worship. This is where God is doing his most beautiful work. And as I look at this passage, I can't help but go back to kind of minimalism or anything like it. As you hold up little trinkets, will that give you joy? Will that give you fulfillment? Does that not pale into insignificance? Those ideals, as good as some of the things might be in that, compared to knowing Christ my Lord, he's all I need. Christ as Lord is all I need need. Let me finish with Paul's beautiful words to them, to us. God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles throughout the world the glorious riches of this mystery now revealed, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. And to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. Amen. listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.